1: Now, here's Frank, Scott, Chris, and Adam.
0: So you thought we talked a lot about Joe Musgrove before. Well, try the San Diego Padres on for size. Welcome to Fantasy Baseball Today on Tuesday, January 19th. Two-man crew, Frank Stamfel and Scott White back at it. Loaded show today. We have third base and shortstop tiers, your mailbag questions, and perhaps the most important trade of all time, Scott. Joe Musgrove (laughs) is headed to the Padres in a three-team deal It's got the ADP on fantasy pros is one sixty three point seven. Look into the crystal ball. This come March, come this March, where do you predict that ADP will wind up for Big Joey Musgrove?
2: Big Joey must start. Well, it it was already on the way up, right? Even before this trade, you know the NFBC ADP allows you to section off date ranges. And so more recently, we had seen Musgrove going more in like the 120 range, right? And and our our heads were kind of exploding over that. Um, uh, the the buzz is only going to grow louder now that he's actually with a good team. And um, I, I mean, he actually had, uh, when you consider, okay, the Padres acquired Blake Snell and Yu Darvish prior to this move this offseason already. Well, Joe Musgrove set a career high with a swinging strike rate identical to what Yu Darvish's was last year, and mm. he ended the season with back-to-back double-digit swinging strikeout f eff- or back-to-back double-digit strikeout efforts, the first double-digit strikeout efforts of his career. Um, threw it through his curveball a lot more; it seemed to make the the swinging strike rate on everything else go up. So there's definitely reason to be excited about him, and and now he's not cursed by being with the Padre, the <laughs> Pirates, I guess. He is with the Padres. Um, So, I, I think... I think he could... It's hard to see him going much higher than the 120 range because that, among starting pitchers, you get into, like, Patrick Corbin and Charlie Morton. Uh, But maybe he could crack the top 100, which is more like Dylan Bundy and, and Chris Paddock, which... You know what's funny is, again, after they added Darvish, after they added Snell, and now Musgrove, you can make the case that the Padres' fifth starter now, their their fifth best starter, is Chris Paddock, the guy who we all had as their number one starter <laughs> going into last year. Like, there's a case to be made. Personally, I'm not going to put Musgrove ahead of him, but it wouldn't surprise me if if the hype builds to that point.
0: Yeah, and it's. It is crazy, man. And we talk about Joe Musgrove a lot on this podcast, and some people might be tired of it. You know, I get it, but let's just be real for a second when it comes to Musgrove. His career, 4.33 ERA, 1.23 whip but he shows these flashes of brilliance, Scott. You mentioned the, the final two starts, double-digit strikeout efforts for Joe Musgrove, uh, but it, it really was the final five starts of 2020. He did this as well in 2019. He just The final month, he just seems to go off. But in 2020, final five starts, 2.16 ERA, 13.7K per nine, 1.8 walks per nine, a 56% ground ball rate, and a 16% swinging strike rate. So uh, those are truly elite numbers. So this is just, we are tantalized by Joe Musgrove, these small sample sizes for him. And now he moves over to one of the best teams in baseball, much better lineup. So the run support should be there. I saw a tweet from uh, Tristan Cockroft from ESPN and he, I think it was over the past three seasons, Joe Musgrove has had one of the worst run supports in all of baseball. So now he will actually have better run support, a better defense behind him. I think a tougher division moving over from the NL Central to the NL West. But I mean, the Padres have done a really good job with their pitchers. Their starting pitcher, uh, collective ERA last year, 3.46. That was third best in the majors. They obviously helped Nelson Lamette get to uh, that next level. So I, I think... The question is Scott do you do you think that they can actually un- unlock Musgrove's full potential and if so what does that look like?
2: They could. I mean he's 28 now so he's he's not he he's he's in the middle stage of his of his career already. He's middle-aged for a baseball player. Uh but I mean, you said we've seen flashes from Musgrove from time to time. I thought last year's stretch was the most impressive I've ever seen him. I agree. And, like, his control throughout his career, that's always been there. It's been, a, like, it's been elite from the get-go, except for last year when he had 3.6 walks per nine innings. Now, a lot of that was early on in the season before he kind of took off. But, I mean, it goes to show that... Um, I don't think we've really seen how high his ceiling can be when he's doing everything he's capable of doing. And if he is an elite strike thrower, that means he's going to be efficient, able to pitch deep into games, which is very important, especially now. So I think think he's a legitimate breakout candidate. I'm not trying to discount the legitimacy of that. I just think he's going to be the breakout candidate everybody's on to. And so it'll be hard to get him at any kind of discount, really. I do want to also throw in this idea that the Padres, you know, as hard as they've worked to upgrade the rotation this off-season, you wonder you wonder what the rationale is behind that. I mean, obviously no GM can go into the season thinking the starting 5 is going to be the starting 5 all year. That's just not a prudent way to do things. But now like there's no there's no obvious in for McKinsey Gore if he shows he's ready. So are they thinking he's not going to show he's ready? Uh Danelson Lamett, is this an indication that they're worried about his elbow? They're, they don't have much confidence in it holding up? Like are are there are there internal secrets that are driving some of these moves? Or are they just wanting to have crazy depth for their pitching staff? I mean, It makes me wonder.
0: Yeah, no, I think these are fair questions. Of course, the full rotation for the Padres, as of now, you Darvish, Blake Snell, Denelson Lamette, Joe Musgrove, Chris Paddock, and Mike Clevenger in 2022, assuming he returns healthy from his Tommy John surgery. But yeah, this might indicate they don't think Mackenzie Gore is where he should be at. I I tend to lean with a prospect with that much talent. I think that they just don't want to put too much pressure on him. They don't want him to feel like he has to have this major role for a team that is obviously contending for a world series for a championship. So that's just my kind of my take on it, but maybe he's just not where they want him to be. Um, definitely a possibility. And Lamette, you know, I, I, I was skeptical when they went out and traded for Darvish and, and Blake Snell, that there might be something there with Lamette We know that he has an injury, but so far everything AJ Preller and the organization has said is He's fine. He's, uh, he's on pace for spring training. Everything looks good. So uh, I guess we'll find out over the next couple of weeks. Pitchers and catchers report mid-February. I think it's February 15th. So uh, if he's there, I guess things are, are looking up for Denelson Uh Just the last point on Musgrove. I, I tend to agree with you, Scott. I think he can climb up close near the 100 range in terms of ADP. Um, I mentioned. I wrote this up. Last week, ADP risers on NFBC. He was, you know, inside the top 130. I'm in a draft right now. He went pick 130 overall. Can he climb 20, 30 spots? Yeah, I think that's definitely possible. Uh, And maybe even approach that range like Chris Paddock, Dylan Bundy, Zach Granke, which you mentioned. So I'm kind of on par with you there. And it's a big price tag to pay when it comes to Joe Musgrove. Uh, Of course, the full deal. Mentioned it was a three-team deal. Joe Musgrove goes to the Padres. Uh, The Mets received Joey Lucchesi. And the Pirates received four prospects, including outfielder Hudson Head. He was a top 10 prospect in the Padres organization. He's only 19 years old. Pitcher Omar Cruz, pitcher Drake Fellows, uh, catcher slash outfielder, adult and Varsho type here, Andy Rodriguez, and they also received reliever David Bednar. So, don't really know anything about these prospects. I'm not going to act like I do. Uh, Anything to see here with Lucchese? I feel like he's just pitching depth for the Mets.
2: Yeah, I presume he's there to push Stephen Matz. I, I don't see him overtaking Stephen Matz. The thing about Ju- Joey Lucchesi is like the Padres had basically decided uh, they, they didn't really need to see any more of him. It seems like they barely used him last year. So he has always been a two-pitch pitcher. That churve he has, that change-up curve hybrid. Uh, Such an interesting pitch.
0: I love I, I watching mean, it, but it's really all he has. <laughs>
2: Yeah, I mean, it clearly baffled hitters his rookie year when he had, I think, near ten strikeouts per nine. But it's it's been it's been downhill since then for him. He's probably better off as like a multi inning reliever for the Mets. Uh, but he's there for starting depth too. If if something goes wrong for one of their five,
0: some lower level moves. John Lester signed a one year deal with the Washington Nationals. His ERA, xFIP, and Sierra were all over five last season while his six point two k per nine was the lowest of his career. Um, big name, Scott, but not really much to see here, right? With Lester,
2: no, not really. It's pretty much uh, feel like it's the end of the road for him. So, <laughs> the end. Maybe he'll have a, maybe he'll have an Adam or Wainwright resurgence, but I'm not putting any money on that. Not, <laughs>
0: I'm not doing so either. Tyler Chatwood signed a one year, three million dollar deal with the Blue Jays, and according to roster resource he is not in their rotation but there's a chance he can battle our old friend ross stripling for Mm -hmm. one of those final rotation spots so tyler chatwood got off to a nice start last year and then i remember he had just one ghastly performance scott where he just i think i wound up with like negative 17 fantasy points in a head-to-head points league when i started chatwood last year so uh not really excited over him either. The final note I wanted to mention here, according to Buster Only, the Red Sox plan to be conservative with Chris Sale's return from Tommy John's surgery. All three of Sale, Noah Syndergaard, and Luis Severino had Tommy John between February and March of last year in 2020. Based on everything I've read, it sounds like Syndergaard could be the first one back. I've seen Memor- Memorial Day as a potential timetable for... Uh, Syndergaard, if you remember Severino, he was dealing with things outside of just the elbow. He was dealing with like a lat injury, so I think the Yankees are going to be a little bit more cautious with him. Uh, are you interested in any three of these Tommy John recovery patients, Scott, Late as late-round picks in your draft? It
2: would depend how many IL spots I had, how deep the league is. I'm most interested in Severino. I think he had the surgery the earliest, and I think the Yankees have the most incentives to bring it back, and I think he's probably the best of the three at this point. So I do have him quite a bit higher than the other two, but not not in a range that'll get drafted in like a standard 12-team head-to-head points league, 250 or so players rostered.
0: Tears Week continues here on Fantasy Baseball Today. Chris is not here to cry or fake cry or whatever he was doing yesterday. But, of course, we're not going to go as deep on every player and on each position as we will for the position previews is more so. Just to get a feel for where players are going, some strategy discussion overall with the position. Uh, So let's start off with third base, Scott. Your early thoughts on this position. What are you thinking?
2: Well... If you'll remember this time a year ago, we were talking about how it was maybe the deepest we've ever seen, a posi- an infield position. And uh, I-, I think I did a little exercise where if you factor in all the multi-eligible players at third base, you could fill out an entire head-to-head lineup with third basemen and feel pretty good about it. <laughs> That's Not catcher, wild. you couldn't get a catcher, so excluding catcher. And you'd have to dig pretty deep for that third outfielder. But still, it looked really strong. Um but the thing is like so many players underachieved there in 2020 and ones that I, I I think it's fair to have real concerns about that it doesn't feel so strong anymore. There's a ton of depth in the middle, like all those guys who basically underperformed and got pushed down to the middle stages of the draft. I, I mean, any one of them could could come back and be a stud for you, but you just don't know the right one to pick. So it makes you reluctant to pick any of them.
0: Yeah, definitely not as deep as we're used to seeing. Very top-heavy position, as we will talk about right now. Uh, There is just a cliff where the tiers just completely fall off. So we'll talk about that uh, right now. And the Super Elite tier, there's only the the return of the Super Elite tiers today on the podcast. Um, There's only one player in this tier. That is Jose Ramirez, who currently has in ADP of 10.3 over on Fantasy Pros. Uh, He's just awesome. I think we're past that ugly 132-game stretch between 2018 and 2019. He finished as a top-five overall player in Roto in two of the past three seasons. Uh, Jose Ramirez also finished as a top-two hitter in head-to-head points leagues in two of the past three seasons. He was number two uh, this past season in 2020. He was the number one overall hitter back in 2018 in points leagues. So he's not really someone that you have to differentiate based on format. He makes a lot of contact. He walks a good amount. uh, He hits a lot of home runs. He steals a lot of bags as well. The last 162 games for Jose, 281 batting average, 38 homers, 26 steals. The guy is elite. The only issue, of course, Scott... Super elite, Frank. Super elite. Thank you. Thank you for the correction there. Uh, the only issue is the lineup. Are you worried, Scott? Because, you know, Chris kind of eased my mind last week when we were you know, talking about Lindor leaving. He said, uh, whatever number, I think it was like 90%. There were studies that show like 90% of a player's production just comes from that player. It's not really their surroundings that... Uh, influence him all that much. So are you worried about that when it comes to Jose Ramirez? And how early would you take him in each format, Roto and head-to-head points? Well, not that
2: much. I, I don't worry about him this, that much. I, I will just say that a player who I think is this elite, who is super elite, um, I think it, they're pretty well able to sustain themselves. And a lot of times what you see if a, a player who can run is in a weak lineup, he tends to run even more. Uh, I, I don't know. I remember this. This was an issue with Freddie Freeman back when the Braves first started their rebuild, and he was, you know, he was still awesome. So I was a little worried about Juan Soto entering last season. Scott, there you and, go. More recent <laughs> example. Yeah, <laughs> that didn't really matter. No, it didn't really matter. I, I think it can matter for some players. Um, you, you know, just because I guess the the macro studying the the big study looking at the whole expanse of the league players across the board talent wise, um, shows that it's 90% of the RBI run production comes from the player itself. Obviously that can vary from player to player and situation from situation, but I think it's the ones on the high end that you have to worry about the least.
0: Mm, yeah, I would. I, I agree. Like I'm not, I'm not all that worried about Jose Ramirez. Chris really did make me feel better about him. How early would you take him in each format?
2: I believe I have him, let me think here. I think I have him 11th in both, I I think. Uh, but you could make an argument as high as 9th, probably. So 9, 10, 11 for me is Trevor Story, Christian Yelich, Jose Ramirez, um, and maybe maybe even make an argument a little earlier than that in, in a points league, because I, I could see taking Jose Ramirez over Trey Turner in a points league. I probably would, in fact. So, you know, l- late first-round range. All
0: right, let's move on to the elite tier here, and um, this includes Manny Machado, Alex Bregman, Nolan Arenado, Anthony Rendon, and DJ LeMahieu We spoke about DJ LeMahieu a ton yesterday. Use him at second base, but remember that he has three different position eligibilities throughout your draft. I, Scott, I love this here. I love this mm-hmm. tier of third baseman. ADPs ranging from 21 with Machado down to 35.7 with Anthony Rendon. Uh, I do just want to start with Manny Machado and ask, do you think he is overvalued now? Because last year, you could have had him in the fifth, sixth, sometimes seventh round. Now, he is firmly a... Second round pick, he finishes the ninth best player in Roto, the seventh best hitter in points leagues in the prime of his career, 28 years old, one of the best lineups in baseball, and he does have a manager who likes to run in Jace Tingler. So how do you feel about Machado? Do you think he's overvalued at 21?
2: Well, I think you're probably buying him at the maximum extent of his potential now, and... Like, I don't really understand what went right for him last year. It was kind of a situation, kind of like Eric Hosmer, where uh, the thing that you thought, if only he did this differently, he started doing early on. In Hosmer's case, it was putting the ball in the air more. In Machado's case, it was hitting more line drives. But then that normalized, like with Hosmer, normalized over the rest of the season. Uh, my my thinking with Machado is that he's so fly ball oriented it just doesn't work in a bigger park the way it did in Camden Yards and the data seemed to suggest that until last year so you know maybe he's just he he's just such a high level of talent that that you know he's kind of immune from park factors and, and what we saw from him the second half of 2018 and all of 2019 was just a fluke um, but I still wonder. I still wonder. I'd be okay drafting him in the second round. The thing is that you don't need to. And that's why I feel like Manny Machado might be the player I'm the single player I'm least likely to draft because Scott, why do you hate Manny Machado? I don't it's not that I hate Manny Machado, <laughs> it's just What did he do to you? I I like Alex Bregman, Nolan Arenado, and Anthony Rendon about the same as him. That's why I put them in the same tier. And I know if I'm picking in the back half of round two where Machado's going to go, at least one, if not multiple of those other three, Bregman, Arenado, and Rendon, will be available for me early in round three, the first half of round three. And in fact, I got Rendon in round four in our most recent Roto mock draft. You know, Points League is... More Rendon's format than than Roto, but no, it's still egregious. Still, though, he's Scott. he's lead either way.
0: Yes, it's egregious. The fact that Rendon yeah. is going in the fourth round, even in a Roto league with batting average, uh, I've seen him go in the fourth round. I've I've done. I'm currently in my fourth draft champions over at NFBC. It's a five by five Roto. It's a draft and hold fifty rounds. There's no waivers. You just set your lineup throughout the entire season. I seen him go in the fourth round of fifteen team roto leagues. I just don't. I, I just don't get it when it comes to Anthony Rendon. And I've referenced this before. He's part of the reason, him single-handedly, why I am okay starting a draft with two starting pitchers in the first two rounds because I know for a fact that I can get Anthony Rendon in at least the third round and sometimes the fourth round. So yeah. uh, I don't disagree with what you said. Uh, you and this is the whole point of the tiering process is if you think these players are similarly ranked then you can pull up a starting pitcher into the second round. You can take your Giolito or or Aaron Nola or Max Scherzer, whoever it might be. You could take that guy in the second round and know that coming back around in the third round, you can still get a really, really good third baseman. So uh, I think that that was well said. I still really do like Manny Machado. He, I think, probably still has the highest upside of that group, probably more so.
2: I, I think because of the... The steals. I feel feel like we've drafted, we've never drafted Machado as high as we've drafted Arenado and Bregman at times, and obviously Arenado and Bregman were the biggest underachievers in this tier last year, so Mm -hmm. uh, you you can understand people being a little down on them. But I don't think it's fair to say Machado has the most upside. I guess if you factor in, you know, he has the most steals upside. I don't think it's a super high steal ceiling, but it's Mm -hmm. you know, twelve to fifteen. He could steal. Um, and that might make a difference in five-by-five five leagues, but I don't know. I, I, I still say we've never drafted Machado as eyes. as we've drafted those other two.
0: That's probably right. I, there's just concerns with Arenado. He dealt with some injuries last year. There's always the possibility of him being traded. Um, he's a little bit older than Machado as well, so I just kind of worry about those things a little bit when it comes to Arenado. Bregman... He dealt with injuries last year, too, but was nowhere... But you're making
2: downside arguments now, not now, upside arguments.
0: No, you're right. You're right about that. So I'm probably just biased because everyone knows that I do really like Machado, but um, I think he's probably... I think he's really good regardless of format. He walked 10% of the time. He doesn't strike out much at all. 14% strikeout rate. So, uh, yeah, I'm I'm making the upside argument for sure for Manny Machado. Uh, between that group, Arenado, Bregman, Rendon, who's your favorite, Scott?
2: My favorite... Nano Bregman, Rendon, you said? We're so yeah. the Machado out?
0: If they're, um, yeah. So, like, say Machado goes yeah. in the second round, you're on the clock in the third round, you want a hitter, and you it's, consider
2: these three, the best three hitters, which third baseman would you take? It's Bregman. It's Bregman, if, I, if I'm forced to choose. But the the idea of tiers is you'd rather not be forced to choose.
0: hmm Yeah. For me, it's uh, it's Rendon. I have him ranked as my third, third baseman uh, in both formats. Four straight seasons with an OPS over 900. He's probably going to miss 10 to 15 games throughout the course of the season because he always does. But I, I might argue that he is the safest third baseman going in the first three or four rounds. Um, so yeah, that is it's Rendon for me. It's Bregman for Scott. The near elite, Rafael Devers. Some might include Devers in that tier uh, above but I do think he kind of has to reestablish himself. Uh, he represents, and this is this is the drop-off, Scott. This is the cliff. I think after Devers, we just see this huge drop in uh, expectations, uh, in rankings, just in general, in ADP, because the next group, you're talking about Biggio, who has third-base eligibility, but Suarez, Matt Chapman, Gio Urshela, Yuan Mankata, which are fine players, but we've seen Devers be... Uh, better than those guys at his ultimate upside. So um, do you agree? Do you agree that this kind of represents that cliff? And um, why is he not in the tier before this?
2: He's not in the tier before because I I don't think he has quite the same upside as that group. Uh, I think he played a little over his head in 2019. And I was saying that at this time a year ago too. Um, And I, I mean, even you look at what he did in terms of points per game last year, like he was an entire point per game behind DJ Lemayhew uh, when Rendon was much closer, and we've we've obviously seen Bregman and Arenado be as good as Lemayhew in the past. So yeah, I think I think there's there's a lack there's a less less of a track record there for Devers, and I don't think the ceiling is quite as high. He um, yep, continue. So the tier after that is very large, and it it it's comprised of a lot of those guys who we were talking about who. Un- underachieved in 2020 or at least uh, yeah underachieved like Eugenio Suarez Max Muncy did Matt Chapman did Jon Mukata certainly did Chris Bryant Josh Donaldson uh, the two names I skipped over were Kevin Biggio and, and Gio Urshela but I, I think they're both probably at the tippy top of what they're able to do right now um, so I I think there's a pretty good chance for all of these guys to bounce back. Moncada was dealing with COVID and he specifically talked about how it affected his energy level and like everything was down for him. So, so that makes sense. Uh, Chapman, Chapman's coming back from shoulder surgery now, I think. So there are some concerns with him. Eugenio Suarez had shoulder surgery last January. So you wonder how much that impacted his performance. Uh, Max Muncie, I think, is fine. Chris Bryant, he's he's kind of been on a downward trend for a while now, so I'm really worried about him. And, and Josh Donaldson, of course, he's old and gets hurt all the time. So there's a lot of reason to be skeptical for most of these guys, even still. Which is why I'm probably going to end up with Gio, Gio Urshela most from this group. Like I don't know why his ADP is still as low as it is. If you were making tiers off of ADP, Gio Urshela wouldn't qualify for this tier. But he's been the same guy now both 2019 and 2020 really validated that breakthrough last year. And to put it in perspective, I mean, 3.17 fantasy head to head points per game last year. That's not, that's not even really his format because he doesn't walk much. 3.17. That, that was two tenths of a point better than Rafael Devers. I mean, it was, it wasn't a lead, but it was pretty good.
0: Yeah. And that's part of the reason you point out here that, I typically am so starting pitcher centric and uh, I target so many starting pitchers early in head-to-head points leagues because it feels like either you can find hitters later on in the draft because it's it's really just a shallow uh, roster in a head-to-head points league where you can find a lot of you know startable, viable options later on in drafts or just pick guys up who get hot off the waiver wire. Um, and, and this is probably the best version of Urshela... That we've seen, you mentioned he he's done it two years in a row. He's twenty nine years old. Got the walk rate up to ten percent last year. Uh, strikeout rate was only fourteen percent. XBA. Yeah, I guess that helps
2: in points leagues. the, yeah. the lack of strikeouts. Yeah, he he hit three. He hit
0: two ninety eight. Urshela did. His expected batting average was three fifteen.
2: His yeah, was two two years in a row where he was. <laughs> He's awesome. one of the best expected batting average. Actual batting average, but the expected batting average backed it up. He looks like one of the safest best for bets for batting average in all of baseball. And I think he's a pretty safe RBI source. I I don't know that the power is going to compare to most of these third basemen, but um, I would expect... If, if you if you were putting the over under a 20, I would take the over for home runs for Urshela.
0: Mm, yes, I would agree with that. I will just point out he had... Surgery on his elbow to remove a bone chip. I think it was two months ago, last month, something like that. Uh, so I do want to see how he looks in spring and how he reacts to that. Matt Chapman, you mentioned he had uh, hip surgery, so his so hip. Okay, not hip, hip surgery. It's pretty serious. So yeah, I, I've got to I got to see him in the spring too before. I reinvest because things were kind of all over the place with him last year. Uh, I'll just kind of put a bow on, on Rafael Devers. Even if you don't draft him, if he gets off to a slow start, you might want to consider buying low because he has done that now two years in a row, Rafael Devers. 2019, he did not hit his first home run until May 3rd. He hit all 32 of his home runs over his final 124 games. And then in 2020... His first 22 games, he hit just two home runs with a 207 batting average. Final 35 games, a 297 batting average with nine home runs. So two years in a row, we have a sample of Rafael Devers being a slow starter. You might want to buy low once the season starts. The fallback options, this is <laughs> Scott, This is a fun group, man. We just have two, I guess you could still call them prospects, right? Cabrian Hayes and Alec Boehm. Uh, I call these guys... The hype bros, got The hype bros at <laughs> the third base position. Uh, dude, kudos to you. You were all over Boehm. You were probably highest on him in the industry that I saw. And uh, he had an 881 OPS across 44 games last year. Brian Hayes, we've talked about him a lot. OPS over 1,100 in 24 games with the Pirates. The ADP for Boehm, very high. 109.7. People are excited. Hayes, it's high, but not as high. 155.3. Um, I just kind of worry about this is a I li- I worry about the lineup a little bit more for someone like Hayes than obviously someone like Jose Ramirez, just because Ramirez is just so established and has such a track record. Hayes, we just, we don't have that same thing. So they trade away Josh Bell pirates lineup looks really, really barren. Scott.
2: True. But I, I, I want to take care of the player first before I take care. Like I, I, I want to make sure I'm getting the talent of the player matters more to me than the talent of who's around him. And,
0: and the talent just think,
2: looks great. Like, you're giving me credit for Alec Bohm. I think I'm higher on Cabrian Hayes now. In fact, this was a difficult... This was a stretch in the tiers, regardless of position. This was one of the toughest ones for me to figure out because it's tempting for me to put Cabrian Hayes a tier higher, in that tier with Gio Urshela and Matt Chapman and Yohan Mokata, And then maybe tier Alec Bohm with some of those from the next tier, the last resorts, which includes Justin Turner, who of course has a pretty extensive track record, J.D. Davis, who I was very high on uh, a year ago. Um, it's tempting for me to put Bohm with those guys and put Cabrian Hayes with that higher group. So I'm not sure I really see Cabrian Hayes and Alec Bohm as being entirely on the same level. There's a lot to like about Boehm, but if there are doubts about Hayes' power production, I think there have to be about Bohm's as well. He homered just four times in his 160 at-bats last year. Um, so part of what makes it easy to justify tiering them together is that Bohm tends to go 50 spots higher than Hayes. So I'm pretty confident Hayes is the one I'm going to get from this tier. But there is some doubt there in my mind that I that I set this up exactly the way I want it.
0: Yeah, for Bohm makes a lot of contact. Walk rate was decent, 8.9%. Uh, the the biggest issue is he's got a little bit of a Vlad thing going on here, Vlad Guerrero Jr., 53% ground ball rate for Alec Bohm, which has been an issue for him in the minors. In 2018, 62% in rookie ball, 56% at low A. Uh, in 2019, he really kind of rectified that, 34%, 47%, 41% ground ball rates for Alec Bohm. So, um that got better in 2019 as he moved up levels, but it would be it would be helpful for him to uh, to raise the launch angle a little bit there. Uh, but I think a lot to be excited about for both Boehm and Cabrian Hayes. You mentioned this last resorts tier. Quickly mentioned Justin Turner J.D. Davis, Jamer Candelario, Kyle Seeger, and Tommy Edmund. Uh It's kind of a boring tier. Candelario did some nice things. Um, J.D. Davis, you mentioned someone that you were on last year. Stack Mess lineup. Uh, there are two other tiers. You can find these, of course, on the website, cbssports.com fantasy. Click on baseball. Uh, but one that stands out to me, Austin Riley, Scott. And we've talked about him a lot. Lowered the strikeout rate. Still hit the ball really hard last year. Sneak peek behind the curtain. Austin Riley will be in my breakouts column. So very, very excited about him. We're going to take a quick break. But quickly, I want to let everyone know that UFC is this weekend. Any UFC fans out there, the notorious Conor McGregor is back. UFC 257 this weekend from the Etihad Arena in Abu Dhabi. Conor McGregor will be headlining UFC 257 against Dustin Poirier. Conor won the first meeting between the two via first round TKO, but that doesn't mean we should count out Poirier who is 10 and two since losing to McGregor back in September of 2014. Morning Combat is the place to get all your UFC 257 content. Fighter interviews, previews with UFC Hall of Famer Rashad Evans, and of course, instant reactions to UFC 257 as soon as the event ends. Download and subscribe to Morning Combat on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, and wherever else podcasts are found. Our Facebook group is alive and well. Many people asking questions right now. Uh, Lots of talking points. In fact, I saw this question from Jim Mitchum on our Facebook group page he asks, Scott, keep two between Sandy Alcantara, Jesus Lazardo, Christian Javier, Dylan Bundy, and Corbin Burns. Two of those names, Scott Alcantara, Lazardo, Javier, Bundy, Corbin Burns. Who you got?
2: The two I would keep from that group are Corbin Burns mm. and Say- Harper, but Dylan Bundy, I think. Ah! Would you go Lazardo? I would go Lazardo. Yeah. Keeper League, I just I think he has more upside long-term. It doesn't sound like there are many players being kept in this league, though, so I don't worry yeah. as much about the long-term ramifications when that's the case. But it's, it's, it's a fair argument.
0: Scott goes Burns and Bundy. I go Burns and Lazardo. But the point of this is, be like Jim and join our Facebook group. That's facebook.com slash groups slash fantasy baseball today. We're going to take a quick break. When we return, shortstop tears. And we have your questions. Fantasybaseball at cbsi.com. We'll do that here, fantasy baseball today. Warn by players like Michael Harris to meet the demand of elite ball players, the new balance fuel cell 4040 V7 is a versatile option. The 4040 V7 is built for the athlete who needs responsiveness and ability to cut and run at their full speed. The model features a fuel cell foam underfoot and a synthetic and mesh upper to provide breathability, comfort, and a snug fit as you round the bases. The fuel cell midsole features nitrogen infused foam specifically designed to propel athletes forward. Learn more about the 4040 at newbalance.com. Homes.com knows that when it comes to home shopping, it's never just about the house or condo, it's about the home. nearby parks, and transportation options. When looking at local schools, they offer test scores, state rankings, and student-to-teacher ratio. They even have an agent directory with the sales history of each agent. That's why Homes.com goes above and beyond to bring home shoppers the in-depth information they need to find the right home. So when it comes to finding a home, not just a house, this is everything you need to know, all in one place. Homes.com, we've done your homework. So we spoke about the third base position, Scott, and how last year it was maybe the deepest position ever. Not so much this year. Shortstop might have taken the place of third base, Scott, because I think it's a really deep position this year.
2: Yeah, it's certainly star studded. There are, there are more than enough, I think, must start shortstops to go around in a, in like a a head to head lineup league where you don't have that extra middle infield spot. It, uh, there, there, there usually is somebody who falls ridiculously because of that, because people just don't have a, a place to slot them in. Let me count it up to be sure. So I'm at 9, 10, 11, 12, 13. Yeah, I got 13 uh, through the next best things. So that, that would be a group that I'd consider must-start players, basically. And I got 13 names there.
0: Mm. Very, very strong position, especially at the top. So let's start with the super elite tier, which includes... Oh,
2: oh, let me add that none of those 13 names are multi-eligible. So that just drives home the point. They're all shortstop only. That
0: is a very good point. The super elite tier includes Fernando Tatis, Trey Turner, and Trevor Story, with Turner and Story being a tier lower in points points leagues. Uh, Trey Turner just finished as the number one shortstop and the number two player overall in Roto, thanks to a seven RBI game, which he had on the final day of the season. He actually homered in each of the final two games of the season, but had a nice little seven RBI game to push him ahead of Fernando Tatis, who finished as the fourth overall player in Roto. Tatis, his ADP is three on the dot behind only Ronald Acuna and Mookie Betts. Scott, Tatis hit 208 with a 714 OPS in September. How worried are you about that final month for him?
2: Not really. I have him, you know, if we if we're just if we're going to do this looking at rankings as opposed to tiers, so bourgeois, but if we're going to do that, then I would have Fernando Tatis fourth. The two you mentioned, Acuña and Betts ahead of him, but also Mike Trout. Um, but I would still have him fourth, you know. It's <laughs> It's enough to remind me he really doesn't have much of a track record yet. But at the same time, there were some pretty significant underlying changes beyond just he was really hot in August, like his cut way down on the strikeouts. He, he set a new record for hard hit rate by a lot, which, I mean, isn't so surprising that you see these kind of outlier uh, league leader type numbers in a shortened season. But still, it's it's... He set the hard hit record by so much over Aaron Judge, the year Aaron Judge hit 52 home runs, was it? And, like, Tatis just blew that out of the water. His launch angle was better. Like, he improved in a lot of the ways. Like, a a lot of the hits I had against him at this time this year, just last year, just don't exist anymore. And, obviously, he's projected to steal a lot of bases in in addition to doing everything else.
0: Yeah, he just... Scott, you mentioned the hard hit rate, and I know that that was actually an amazing stat, which you include included in an article on Cbsports.com uh, 56 amazing stats, and it really is an awesome article. I went through and read, read it today. I actually, I copy and pasted a bunch of them into my notes, so I just have them whenever I'm looking up a player.
2: I, I, so. <laughs> I thought I recognized some of those you pointed out. Yeah, <laughs>
0: Yeah. that's how good the article was. I'm stealing Scott's work. I'm plagiarizing him. But I told him about it, so it's okay. Um, Tatis how hard he hit the ball. He, he led baseball, led all of baseball in average exit velocity, hard hit rate and barrel percentage. He is 22 years old. He is the face of baseball. So I have absolutely no issue taking him as the third player off the board in a Roto league. Um, how early do you take him in a points league, Scott? I think for me, I think it's probably in that seven, six, seven range. Um, I would take Trout ahead of him. I would take Betts. I would take the three elite starting pitchers, uh, Bieber, DeGrom, and Garrett Cole. And I think I would take Juan Soto ahead of him.
2: Definitely. I'd take Juan Soto ahead of him. I have him eighth, so I would also include Acuna ahead of him. Mm-hmm. If, if I'm putting Acuna ahead of Tatis in a in a, in a a categories league, a roto league, then there's no reason I wouldn't do the same in a points league. Um, I'll just quickly mention on Trey Turner.
0: He is... 27 years old, and I think this is the best version of Trey Turner that we've ever seen yet. He hit 335 with 12 homers and 12 steals in 2020. That is a 30-30 pace over 150 games. So maybe the steals are starting to come down a little bit, but with that, his power and just his his contact skills in general, his ability to drive the ball uh, is better than, than we've ever seen before. So uh, I think if you want to bypass starting pitchers, I'm okay. Taking Trey Turner as high as fourth in a roto draft. I wouldn't do that just because I, I prefer the pitching, but if that's a way that you like to draft, I, I don't mind doing that. The elite tier Scott includes Francisco Lindor and Corey Seager, uh, it was a rough season for Lindor, not what we're used to seeing. He finished as the 11th best shortstop in Roto, just 2.9 fantasy points per game. That was worse than Miguel Rojas and David Fletcher. To put that in perspective, so is Lindor a no-go in a head-to-head points league this early? And in the second round, where his ADP current currently stands, I think it's I think his ADP is 17. Yeah, 17 on the dot.
2: No, there's nothing in the underlying numbers for Lindor that suggests to me. Had the season played out another four months, he wouldn't have finished with his typical numbers. I think, I think it stands out as worse than it actually was because you get these outlier performances in a short season, like we saw with Trey Turner and this never-before-seen power, um, like we saw with, I mean, with Tatis to an extent. But I mean, even those two names you pointed out, Rojas especially. Like, what did he hit? Like three sixty. <laughs> there there are a lot of outlier performances at every position that just kind of pushed a more typical performance, but just m- kind of a little underwhelming like Lindor had. It, it pushes it down even further and makes it seem worse than it actually was. Mm. Ah, you know what? Rojas actually ended up hitting only 304. So, you know. I wouldn't expect an eight eighty eight OPS from him again, but it wasn't <laughs> as exaggerated as I thought it was. Yeah, probably not gonna happen from uh, from
0: Miguel Rojas. Uh, you know, just in general, I do agree. In a Roto or a Categories league, I have no problem taking Lindor. Around the turn, the early second round, points leagues, I think it's a little bit harder. He doesn't strike out. He makes a lot of contact. But I think so much of his value comes in steals that if he's going in that early second round in a, in a points league, I, I probably would look in a different direction. Is Corey Seager that direction I would look in? Probably not that early. But uh, last year, Scott, he was going in... Anywhere from the 10th round, 10 to 12th round range. uh, And we were all over it. We we love the the value for for Corey Seager. Um, Are you concerned at all with the injuries? Because I think there's still kind of a thing. He missed eight games last year and obviously has an extensive injury history. You now have to use a pick for Seager that is 36. So third round, much different than last year.
2: Yeah, I, I don't worry about it so much. Maybe I'm just s- seeing him through rose-colored glasses.
0: Corey Seager is your version of Manny Machado for me.
2: Maybe <laughs> mine's cheaper, so I, I do want to clarify true. with Lindor. I only have him twentieth in my head-to-head points ranking, so that wouldn't be early round two. That would be late round two. But okay. I have Corey Seager twenty-seventh, so that's uh, that means I'm gonna more. I'm more likely going to end up with Seager probably. That's mm-hmm. not a Compared to ADP, that's a small gap. Um, but I'm fine with that because I tier them together. So I think they are more or less equal in value. Obviously, in a 5 by 5 league, Lindor will give you some steals that Seeger won't, at least presumably. But I think the, the net of their contributions is similar.
0: Yeah, Seager was the best version of himself. I said that a lot today, but I guess in the smaller sample size season, we were gonna we were bound to see some career performances. Uh, he hit 307 with a 585 slug. Corey Seager did, and he underperformed his expected stats: 330 xba, 653 expected slug. So, as long as Seeger's on the field, I think he's gonna be awesome.
2: One of those fifty-six amazing stats. You mentioned the XBA, the X Slug for Seager last year. Only once has Mike Trout had an X Slug that high, and Mike Trout has never had an XBA that high. Mm. That is
0: an amazing stat, Scott. There so I do appreciate that. Um, yeah, Seager, I think, can be 90% Freddie Freeman, maybe not 100%, but uh, at the shortstop position, that that would be pretty awesome to get. Uh, I think it could be a hundred percent Freddie Freeman. Yeah, I mean he's young enough to do so. Twenty six years old. He's entering a contract year, I believe as well. We should mention that the shortstop position is is the, it's the year of the contract year because it's it's everybody. It's Trevor Story is in a contract year. Lindor, uh, Corey Seager. Who else do we have? Uh, Carlos Correa's in a contract here. Javier Baez. So a lot of people at this position. <laughs> we could see some really massive performances if you believe in that kind of thing. Uh, we'll move on to the next tier, the near elite. Tim Anderson, Adalberto Mondesi, who would be a tier lower in a points league. Uh, Xander Bogarts and Bo Bichette. Anderson, Mondesi, Bogarts, Bo Bichette. Scott, who is your favorite from this group? And not who's ranked the highest, who is your favorite all-encompassing uh, player expectation versus current cost? Which player do you like most from this group? Probably
2: probably Tim Anderson, which I surprises me to say. I, I guess if I'm interpreting your question as who am I most likely to draft, it's Tim Anderson. Mm-hmm. Who do I like most? I mean, I have a soft spot for Bo Bichette, like everybody does, but I just I think he's getting overdrafted a little bit. I think he's getting drafted more like he's in the same tier as Corey Seeger and not a tier lower.
0: What if I told you he was being drafted ahead of Corey Seeger? His ADP I would is.
2: say shut your mouth. <laughs> that is dumb. Bo Bichette's ADP is 24.3, Seeger is 36. Yeah. Poor Corey. Poor <laughs> Corey.
0: Uh, man. so I, I've said this about Bachet. Uh, we did our early shortstop preview. I, I think it was back in November now. But uh, I have this feeling that you know we we were saying this similar thing about Fernando Tatis last year. You know, it's a small sample size. You're drafting Bo as his at his ultimate ceiling. Is Bobochet's upside as high as Tatis? The prospect pedigree is there. I think he's someone that can hit 30 home runs with 15 to 20 steals and. And this is like upside conversation that we're talking about for for Bichette. I mean, it's not something that I would project. Realistically, 25 home runs, 12 to 15 steals, I think that's a fair projection for Bichette. But if everything works out, you could get 30-plus home runs and and potentially 20-plus steals. And if he does that, then Bo Bichette we're talking about as potentially a first-round pick for next year. So... I kind of get it, but it is still a very high price tag to pay for him. Um, Tim Anderson, I love, based on the cost. 47 is the ADP. You got him in, I believe it was the fifth round of mm-hmm. our Roto
2: Mock Draft last week. So so I'm basing it a lot it. on that, and then I'm going to get a lot of Tim Anderson, and, and maybe that was just kind of a fluke occurrence. I don't know. Um, but it, it does seem to me that people still are hesitant to buy into him, even though he's done it now two seasons in a row, one being a very short season. And I get that the BABIP was very high in both of those seasons, but he was able to repeat it. So I'm less concerned about that. Obviously he's going to help in steals, not as much as I want him to, but any little bit of steals you can help you, you get can help. So, yeah, I mean, I'm going to end up with a, I think I'm going to end up with a decent amount of Tim Anderson. Uh, I feel like we've talked a lot about Adalberto Mondesi recently,
0: uh, but we'll dive a little bit more on him uh, when we do our shortstop preview. Yep. The next best things tier, we have Glaber Torres, Javier Baez, Carlos Correa, and Dansby Swanson. Uh, and I think this is kind of that cutoff that you mentioned, Scott, where uh, these are this is the last group of must-start shortstops, but still just a great group here. And Glaber Torres are getting at ADP 70. Last year, he was a third round pick, Javier Baez, ADP 82. He was a third or fourth round pick in most drafts last season. Uh, Dansby Swanson is someone who is ascending. He was outside the top 200 last year, but put together a breakout campaign uh, and obviously is part of a great Atlanta Braves lineup. Uh, And then Carlos Correa, who we have seen, Scott, have elite seasons. We have seen Mm -hmm. him post 900 plus OPS seasons two times in the last four years. His ADP is down at 123. This is so, so similar to me as Corey Seager last year. Someone that was getting devalued, underappreciated because of injury concerns, yet Carlos Correa is in the prime of his career and he's entering a contract year. I will have a lot of Carlos Correa in 2021, which is something I did not see myself saying. I was not on him last year, but this is by far the lowest cost that we've ever seen for Correa.
2: Yeah, so this tier is is kind of like so. This is the next best things at shortstop. It was, uh, it was the same tier. The next best things at third base, where it was just a, a lot of guys who we've seen more from in the past than we saw in 2020, and then the the obvious trifecta here is Torres, Baez, and Correa, who at this time, yes, last year I think they were all in the leader, at least the near lead, so two or three tiers higher. Um, and they're all in the prime of their career still. I mean, Torres is only 24. So it's it's a good investment to make, particularly if, uh, if, if I draft a shortstop before getting to the, this trio, I'm still considering this trio either from my middle infield spot or maybe even my utility spot because the, the discount has the potential to be so great for them. Uh, Swanson's inclusion here is kind of interesting. He's, I, I think he's definitely better than most of who I have in the next tier. the fallback options. So I'll go ahead and mention those names. The fallback options is DD Gregorius, Marcus Simeon, Jake Cronenworth, and David Fletcher. Fletcher probably be a tier lower in points leagues. Uh, so Swanson's definitely better than them, but he doesn't have the upside of Torres, Baez, and Correa, I don't think. At least not Correa and Baez. Um, Gregorius was a tough one for me because Gregorius was about as good as Swanson last year. And I don't think it was in a way that's unrealistic for him to repeat. So I was kind of tempted to, Gregor- to move Gregorius up a tier with Swanson, but then that would also mean tiering him with Baez, Torres, and Correa. Maybe if we're doing most likely scenario, that's fair, but obviously those three have a higher ceiling than Gregorius, and that has to be factored in as well. So it it, it gets a little murky there with Swanson and Gregorius, is I guess is what I'm trying to say. Mm-hmm. But ultimately, I put them in separate tiers. Swanson higher than Gregorius. Uh, Didi wound up hitting 284, 10 homers,
0: 40 RBI with the Philadelphia Phillies last season, and 827. OPS was the second highest of his career. I think a lot still comes down to landing spot for Didi Gregorius, uh, Scott. Sure. We know that you know he pulls the ball so much, and he's been helped out by playing in, in hitters' parks the past couple of seasons with the Yankees and uh, obviously with the Phillies and Citizens Bank. So we've heard some rumors about Cincinnati; they're looking for a shortstop, but they've really been shedding payroll. So I don't I don't know how much they're going to be willing to dish out for someone like. Uh, Gregorius, uh, but we, we will see where he lands. I think he's still a really, really productive player. There are two, no, there are three other tiers that we didn't get to here. The last resorts, the deep leaguers, the leftovers. Again, you can find those on the site. Andres Jimenez, Scott, is someone who is rising and rising quickly. Uh, I mentioned this draft that I am currently in, and he went in the eighth round. Scott, Andres Jimenez went in the eighth round of a 15-team league. So people, A why the people are getting so excited. I, I think it's just the speed. Like they're excited about that, but um uh-huh. I still kind of worry about the bat and, and the batting average in general. So yeah. I liked I mean, Jimenez when he was going around pick 200. I don't like him as much when he's going around pick uh, 120 here. So worry about that. All right. We have some questions fantasybaseball at cbsi.com continue to email us send those in. Uh, if you have a question you can drop it in our 5-star Apple podcast rating and reviews. I saw someone there recently asked for first year player draft rankings. So we'll have to, we'll come up with a little something. I don't know if we'll put together an article on the site but we'll uh, we'll do a segment on that coming up over the next month or so. First year player draft rankings in dynasty leagues. This questions from Dan Wright. Got a quick trade question for you. Dynasty Points League. I give Clint Frazier and Tucker Davidson, who is a top 10 pitching prospect for the Atlanta Braves. I get George Kirby, who is a top 10 prospect for the Mariners. He's a starting pitcher. And Griffin Canning. I have Kyle Lewis, Teoscar Hernandez, Juan Soto, Jared Kalenic, uh, Dylan Carlson and Ryan Mountcastle currently as keepers in my outfield and utility spots. So I have space to trade away an outfielder. I really liked Kirby based on what Scott and the Welsh had to say. And I, I know he's like a year or two away, uh, but is giving up Frazier too much. The deal Fraser, Davidson for George Kirby and Griffin Canning. What do you think Scott?
2: No, it's not too much. It's easier to do because it's a points league giving up an outfielder and getting pitchers back And it's much, much easier to do when you look at your slew of outfielders there, especially since I'm presuming it's a three outfielder league since it's a points league. So that's a really easy trade for me to do. Davidson um, is a lower stature of prospect. I I don't want to put much dynasty value on him at all, as a matter of fact. So definitely would rather have Kirby and then Frazier for canning. It's probably an even swap anyway but I think especially given the context.
0: Take the trade, says Scott. This one's from Andy Garbert. Give Mike Clevenger, who will miss all of 2021, and Ian Happ. Clevenger and Ian Happ to receive to Nelson Lamette.
2: <laughs> this is an interesting one, Scott. Could totally backfire. Maybe Lamette doesn't throw a pitch in 2020 and we end up seeing Clevenger back before Lamette. But I think just... As things stand now, knowing what you know, Ian Hap shouldn't be what prevents you from exchanging Clevenger for Lamette? So, yeah, I think you have to take it.
0: Scott says, take the trade. This one's from Ben in Maple Ridge. Maybe I'll make some kind of soundbite, some kind of cool soundbite. If someone uh, more technologically savvy wants to do that for me and send it in, fantasybaseball.cbsi.com. Thank you so much. Take the trade. Ben in Maple Ridge. 16-team head-to-head points league. Six keepers with no cost. Guaranteed keepers are Trout, Scherzer, Freeman, Bauer. Wow, that is stacked. I have to pick two of Wander Franco, Vlad Jr., Kenta Maeda, and Kyle Tucker. I have no first or second round picks, but I have a bunch of picks in rounds three to five, so I am poised to go for it this year. I am a habitual prospector. Don't know if that's a word. Probably. Maybe. I know I should... (laughs) Keep Maeda to shore up a strong rotation. So really, it's between Vlad, Tucker, and Wander Franco. Mm. What do you think, Scott? Two, two of those: Maeda, Tucker, Vlad Jr., Franco.
2: I think it's easy to exclude Vlad. What? I I think it's easy to exclude Vlad. Uh, oh. I don't love the idea of giving him up, but I think I think he's the easiest to exclude here because. I mean, he's he's underachieved in a way... I don't know. I, I drop him behind Wander Franco in, in, in long-term rankings.
0: Mm.
2: No? Am I wrong? Uh, it's close. <laughs> I, I'm is, doubting myself all of a sudden. This is a close one. Yeah, Vlad Jr. versus <laughs> T- would, Franco. I'll also say this. It would be easier to keep Tucker if this wasn't a points league. If it was a categories league, then mm-hmm. I think Tucker would be a must. But since it's a points league, I don't think it's a must. I guess what I'm trying to say is I I feel like I'd keep Wander Franco here which is maybe maybe bad process like just because Vladimir Guerrero hasn't been who I've wanted him to be right away is that he's still more useful right now than Franco is but I just worry will we be saying that you know four or five months from now um and I think it's very likely we won't be saying that four or five months from now. I, maybe Vladimir Guerrero will break out this year. I
0: love Kent Maeda, Scott, but he is kind of want to throw back Maeda. Yeah, he's turning 33 years old in, in April, and I, I agree what Ben is saying here. I think Maeda gives him the best chance to win now, especially in a points league, a 16 teamer. You have picks in rounds three to five. A lot of pitchers are probably going to go in the, those first 32 picks. So I don't know who's going to be available for you, but I almost want to just say. Well, why don't you just keep Vlad Jr. and Wander Franco? It's
2: tempting. It is tempting. No, I had I had the thought too. Like before, he made Kenta Maeda an automatic keep. I wasn't thinking of Kenta Maeda as an automatic keep. Mm-hmm. So maybe he's not an automatic keep. Uh, it, you know, usually six keepers isn't enough for me to say. Okay, there's there's very little turnover happening in this league, so you have to you have to plan long term. Usually that's not what I'd say, but it being a sixteen team league, uh, I think makes it more that direction. So I don't know. I'm kinda with you. I'm I'm kinda thinking Guerrero and, and Franco here. And you know, if it doesn't work out for you this year, you're still in good position. You're still in a good position next year.
0: Yeah. Not only do you have four fantastic keepers that help you win now, but you have Vlad who has immense breakout potential. Uh, and you have the top prospect in baseball. I don't know how much he'll contribute this year. Maybe he's, you know, a contributor in the second half. But long term, uh, you give yourself two really great pieces there with guys that can help
2: you win now. So Plus, I, I don't know the way. trade market in this league, but I imagine Franco and Guerrero both would fetch a bigger return than Maeda would. For sure. This one's from
0: a different Ben. 12 Team Points League. I'm trying to decide on my keepers. The players I keep are not tied to losing draft picks, but the league will be reset after three years, so this is year two, I get to keep two of these players. Garrett Cole, Jack Flaherty, Lucas Giolito, Luke Voigt, Charlie Blackman, Nelson Cruz. I assume it's one of the top three, uh, two of the top three pitchers here.
2: Uh, yeah, so he gets to keep them for two more years is what he's saying? Yep. Yeah, I would keep Cole and Giolito.
0: Agreed. This one's from Casey Smith. Grade the trade. Grade the dynasty trade, 24-team points league with 50-man rosters, 16 active, 18 bench, 16 minors. No salaries, so all players are equal in terms of cost. I give Victor Robles and Andujar, I get Fran Reyes and Adam Frazier points league. Oh, points league? Dynasty,
2: yep. Dude, I don't, I, don't have, I don't care much about Victor Robles in a points league at all, at all.
0: But do you care uh-huh. at all about Fran Mel Reyes or Adam Fraser? is the question.
2: Well, fair point. <laughs> <laughs> fair point. This is a pretty inconsequential trade, it would seem. I think my favorite player of these four, even in a points league, especially considering it's a 24-team points league, I think my favorite player overall is Fran Mel Reyes. So, I, I agree. So I think I would make the trade just for that reason. Well, grade the trade, Scott. What would you grade the trade? Oh, grade it? I mean, it's... Pretty close to a C. Pretty close to an I don't care. Even swap. I'll I'll, I'll give it a C plus.
0: Yeah, I'll, I'll go B minus. I, I do like the Mel Rey side more. This last one's from Ian. Dear Mario, Wait, Luigi, and what's up?
2: You said C minus.
0: No, did I say C minus? I meant B minus.
2: Oh, okay. Sorry, I may have misheard. Go Got it. Yeah. Sorry.
0: yeah. Uh, this one's from Ian. Dear Mario, Luigi, and Bowser.
2: Hmm. Where mm. where where are those guys from, Scott? I don't know. wasn't Wasn't Bowser like a third baseman for the the Mariners back in? I think that was Mike Mike Blowers, right? Yeah. No, Ma- obviously this is Super Mario Brothers. <clears throat> yeah,
0: and l- let's work that in a little bit more. When you send your emails in, uh, send us some kind of. I feel like we haven't had these in a while. Some some kind of clues or whatever. Random people that you want to include. Video games definitely work. So if you want to make them video game related, all for that. Uh, grade the trade. Twelve team head to head points, dynasty league. I get Aaron Nola and Cattell Marte. I give Francisco Lindor.
2: There was a a character named Bowers in Little Big League played by Jonathan Silverman.
0: Mm. So maybe
2: that's what I was thinking. But anyway, the trade here. So he's getting Nola and Marte. He's giving Francisco Lindor. You know what? Considering it's a points league, I rank Nola higher than Lindor in a points league just straight up. I know dynasty context shifts it a little more toward the hitter, but still, you're getting Catel Marte too. So this is a good trade. I give it a B plus. I like it a lot. I was going to say B
0: plus as well. Get out of my head, Scott. We're going to wrap there for Scott. I'm Frank. Thank you all for listening and watching fantasy baseball today. Danny and Will will be will be here on Wednesday. We'll be back on Thursday. Bye bye.